Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. Let's pray together as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you that as we we come to you in this act of worship, God, we thank you that you have not left us to figure things out for yourself. You tell us in your word that your word is alive and it is active and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And so we pray that the sword of your word would pierce our hearts to bring the necessary conviction, assurance, correction, and encouragement that is needed to conform us to the image of Christ. Father, we pray that your spirit would fan into flame the affections of our heart for Christ, that we would see him in his beauty and in his glory. So God, I pray that you would block out all distractions. You would give us an ability to take in, to focus upon your word, that your word would fall on good ground and it would bear much fruit that you would do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or imagine because of your word, because of your grace, and because of your spirit. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something about goodbyes that have a way of helping people say what they mean and mean what they say. It's hard to say if those last words are more important than the rest. But there's something weighty and meaningful that surfaces in those last moments together. And that's the context of our passage today. After three and a half years of intimate and intentional life and ministry together, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying goodbye to his disciples. And he is giving them their final marching orders. The passage we will read is often referred to as the Great Commission. And not only are these the last words in the book of Matthew that we will be looking at, but there's a Great Commission text in Mark, Luke, John, and the beginning of Acts. So Jesus wanted these words indelibly printed on the hearts of his followers, and therefore we have no choice but to receive them in that way. And so as we read our passage this morning, I want to encourage us to pay careful attention to the bookends of this passage. So we want to notice how Christ begins this passage, and we want to notice how he ends this passage. So we're going to talk about two things this morning, and they're actually on the back of your bulletin if you would like to follow. Two things. One, our confidence for the Great Commission. That's our passage. And then second, our commands for the Great Commission. So we're going to talk about confidence and commands. An overarching main point is going to be this. The extent in which we grasp Christ's authority is the extent we will obey the Great Commission. So obedience to someone reveals how much authority we've ascribed to them. And so here's a question to reflect on as we get ready to read. How much authority do you and I ascribe to Christ? So our scripture reading this morning, I'd invite you to turn there, look at it. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I will have it on the screen because we're going to read it together. Um, But I'd also invite you, if you have a Bible, kind of keep it open. I think it's helpful to have that visual. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we're going to read this passage together this morning. So I invite you, join me in, in the reading of God's word this morning. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, how many of us look at a command like this, to make disciples of all nations and feel a bit hopeless. If not hopeless, at least a bit realistic. Like, have you seen the apathy, the hostility, the the indifference, the the rejection? And you want me to make disciples in my workplace, my, my home, with my friends, with other students? Like, with people I'm afraid to even tell I'm a Christian and to the ends of the earth? You're not even supposed to talk about Jesus, let alone make disciples of Jesus. So what hope do we have? Our hope lie in the bookends of the passage. I hope you caught that. It begins with Christ's authority. So apart from Christ's authority, and then the end, apart from his presence, we would be right to feel defeated. Jesus doesn't merely give commands apart from first grounding our confidence in him. The commands given by Jesus flow out of our confidence in Jesus. Commands without confidence are self-focused and lead to hopelessness, but commands grounded in confidence are God-focused and lead to hopefulness. So if we eliminate the bookends of this passage, we make God too small, we make people too big, and we will never be faithful to the Great Commission with a small view of God and a big view of people. And so our hope to being faithful to the Great Commission really lie in the bread of the Great Commission sandwich. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am with you always to the end of the age. Right, and these two pieces of bread hold the meat of the sandwich together. I'm going to attempt to demonstrate this. This could go really bad. So we have two pieces of bread here. And my favorite, uh, we have some chicken here. So a lot of us, we go about the Great Commission, spiritually speaking, like this. We have our meat, and then we take out our condiments... I'm really hoping this doesn't go bad. And we just start doing this. So we got some mustard, which I can't stand. And then we just put some produce on here, some lettuce. And we call this a sandwich. And we wonder why the Great Commission gets a little bit messy. It's because we don't have the bread. We don't have the bookends, the authority of Christ and the presence of Christ. Right now, we have a sandwich. We don't have a sandwich without anything holding the meat and the condiments and the produce together. That's what we're lacking sometimes in the Great Commission. So if Christ has all authority, and he does, 
then there is nothing that can befall us that his sweet grace does not permit. There is no form of evil with more authority. There is no form of persecution more powerful than he. His authority doesn't guarantee we will understand everything, but it does guarantee his perfect care for us, even in what we have yet to understand. John Payton was a a missionary in the 1800s to the people of the New Hebrides, who at the time had no Christians. So excruciating difficulty marked the early years of his ministry. On one occasion, he was fleeing from those people who were after him. And by fleeing, he climbed up into a tree. And with spears pointed at him and clubs being swung, he records this in his autobiography. My peace came like a wave of God. I realized that I was immortal until my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me that not a musket could be fired, not a club could strike us, not a spear could leave the hand, not an arrow leave the bow without the permission of Jesus Christ, who has all power on heaven and on earth. I was never left without hearing the promise amidst anguish and darkness that I am with you always. Did you notice how the bookends of the Great Commission anchored John Payton with a surreal confidence when, humanly speaking, fear should have paralyzed him? The book of Acts, which is like weeks after the Great Commission, it's the context in which the disciples obeyed the Great Commission. So we're going to refer to it frequently today. So I want us to notice a connection between Christ's authority and the faithfulness of a man named Stephen as he lives out the Great Commission. So he's about to lose his life for his obedience. And so we're going to turn there, Acts 7, 55. So this is after he's preached and now he's in trouble. And he says, but he, that's Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So we're going to pause there real quick, right? The term right hand signifies authority. Jesus' standing up posture represents his intercession. We just read in Matthew that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, now watch how this emboldens and empowers Stephen a few verses later, Acts 7.59 through 8.1. Now, as they were stoning Stephen... He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now on the surface, it may appear that Christ's authority failed. But Stephen's death supernaturally accelerated the Great Commission The persecution that followed, it scattered disciples to other nations. Just what Jesus had said. And Stephen's prayer was answered. Lord, don't hold this against them. Did you notice who was was giving consent to his execution? It was Saul, who we know as Paul. And so through this event, the greatest missionary and church planter in history came about 
and was converted and led an incredible charge for the Great Commission. So even in defeat, the Great Commission succeeds. I realize there is many of us here that if I could somehow pass out a Scantron sheet to each of us right now, we would each mark, I believe that Christ has all authority. Yet I wonder if functionally, in the nitty-gritty of everyday life, I wonder if we would check a different box. Do our friends have more authority? Our coworkers, our professors, people whose opinion matter to us, cultural fads. In many instances, we've been treating Jesus as our co-pilot rather than our captain. We're often okay with him as our savior, but that Lord peace, it really encroaches upon our life. Consider the implications of a functional belief that someone or something has more authority than Christ. For starters, we will turn the Great Commission into the Great Suggestion. We will turn a command to be obeyed into an option to consider. Selective obedience reveals a higher authority than Christ's. And apart from a robust authority, and apart from a robust understanding of his authority, we will shy away from making disciples because we will be tempted to act as if success rests on us. We have to come up with the perfect words. We have to have an answer to every single question. We deem someone as a type who will or will not respond. And do you see what this thinking subtly reveals? The fulfillment of the Great Commission, it rests on our adequacy rather than the adequacy of Christ. By all means, let's grow in our knowledge of God's word. Let's grow in being equipped to answer questions. But let's do so that knowing even the best of answers apart from Christ's authority is still futile. Now the idea of authority in our culture today often has negative connotations. We're probably all familiar with someone who has misused their authority or been overbearing rather than wielding it for the good of others. And perhaps because of this, right, we're, we're reluctant to fully yield to the authority of Christ. But let's see why Christ is different. Let's notice the pathway to his exaltation and authority. We're going to look to Philippians 2, verses 6 through 9. We're going to look at, he went low in order to go high. So talking about Jesus, Paul writes, who, though he was in the form of God, it did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now, maybe you're here today and you're unsure about Christianity and, and, and you're checking it out. Here's what I want to invite you to consider. Whether we realize it or not, we're all yielding to someone's authority, even if it's our own. The difference between Christ's rightful authority and all others is that his came through the ultimate act of humility. 
And the passage we just read it tells us how low the one with all authority went for us. Uh, but the reason he had to go so low as death on a cross is because we, we rebelled against his authority by opting to be our own authority. And therefore, sin sunk the human race to the lowest possible depths. See, God created a good world, but we chose to submit to the authority of sin rather than God. And that caused a cosmic fraction in our relationship with God. And the natural consequence is separation and and death. But God entered the brokenness we caused in the person of Jesus Christ to be our substitute, to die in our place, so that if we would turn from our sin and put our faith in Christ's good authority, we could be saved. Here's how John puts it in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so church, with the stakes as high as they are, with like life and death hanging in the balance, we cannot afford to treat the Great Commission as a mere suggestion. So now that we've clearly established Christ's authority and presence as the basis for our confidence in the Great Commission, let's now turn our attention to the commands of the Great Commission. So did you notice the order of the commands in the Great Commission? Right? Make disciples of all nations comes first, followed by baptism, followed by teaching them to observe everything that he commanded. And this order is very instructive for us. Now, perhaps at times we've, we've mistakenly viewed the Great Commission as trying to convert someone's morality. Like we, just, we just want to impart some good Christian morals to non-Christians. But to start with teaching them to observe everything Christ commanded, apart from first making disciples, is like tr- frantically trying to fill up a bucket that has a hole in the bottom of it. The church's role is far more important than helping non-Christians act like Christians. Our role is to faithfully present the person and the work of Christ and allow the Spirit to make him irresistible to dull hearts. That's how people become disciples and followers. Until they experience a new birth and receive a new heart, any conformity to morality will be in human strength rather than undergirded by the Spirit of God. The way someone will obey all Jesus commanded will come by way of becoming his disciple first. The best way to transform the whole world is through the transformation of individual hearts. So this order, disciples, baptism, obey, this order conveys first we become family, we become disciples. Second, we identify with family, baptism, And third, we act like family. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. So we cannot focus on acting like family apart from being family. And once again, the book of Acts is our blueprint. In the passage we're going to look at in a minute, Peter, so one of the disciples who was present at the Great Commission, 
he's just preached a sermon about Christ's death and resurrection. And it says the people were cut to the heart. And we're going to pick it up here in Acts 2.38 and then verses 41 through 42. So following his sermon, Peter says, Peter said to them, repent, that means make a U-turn, and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Did you notice the order there? Disciples, baptism, gathering them together in local churches to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So how are we to make disciples today? The same way in the book of Acts. While there's no cookie-cutter approach, the word of God will always be the fountainhead in which everything else flows. The book of Acts shows us that our disciples are made through being introduced to the person of Jesus Christ and especially understanding his death and resurrection. This can happen in numerous ways. One of the ways that it's currently happening at Fremont is we have a few people that have invited non-Christian friends just to read the Bible with them. And this leads to questions and discussions that are life-giving. And this has two essential ingredients to making disciples, being exposed to the person of Jesus, and doing so in relationship. So in addition to answering the question about how to make disciples as individuals, we must also answer that question corporately as a church. See, the disciples saw the corporate nature of the Great Commission, which is why they went establishing churches all throughout the book of Acts. The command isn't only to make disciples, but what is it? It's to make disciples of all nations. And so in Acts 13, we see the first missionary journey where the elders of the church at Antioch They're praying and fasting. They lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and they send them out as missionaries to preach Christ where Christ has never been heard. His name has never been heard. And so the church is to prayerfully and intentionally send equipped Christians to every corner of the earth to those who have never heard may hear. This is why we've invested and someone like Abby and those who are aspiring missionaries. This is why, by God's grace, we have internships that are meant to equip people. This is why, by by God's grace, we take special offerings, which you're going to hear about the amazing fruit of that in a little bit. A missionary, by definition, is someone who is sent. So how can that happen apart from the local church? There isn't a category for a church in the New Testament that is not participating in the sending of missionaries to people who have yet to hear the name of Christ. And on that note, I want to commend you, Fremont Church. A few weeks ago, we took a special offering for for Abby, who's going to be a missionary in one of the most remote parts of the world. And by God's grace, your generosity exceeded our expectations. And we are so thankful for God's grace. And by your generosity, you are participating in sending the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we talked about disciples. Now we're going to finish it up by talking about baptism and teach to obey. So in the New Testament, 
Baptism and being added to the church to be taught to obey, they always went together. And so we too, we're going to take the same corporate approach. Just as we are born into this world and need to identify with family and to be cared for family, spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. And we never outgrow this. Right? Consider the ordinary yet extraordinary formation that happens every week as those of us who are baptized gather together to be taught and to teach one another to obey everything Jesus commanded. We assemble, which is what the word church means, and we sing together, we pray together, we confess sin together, we sit under biblical preaching together, and when this happens, significant formation is happening that cannot happen in isolation. When you hear someone singing next to you who has been battling sickness or heartache, you're being discipled. The message being conveyed is Christ is worth it even when things are hard. When you have a conversation after service with someone and they encourage you, pray for you, and point you towards Christ, you're, giving the, you're being given the gift of endurance to press on. When you help someone who is new when they walk in, when you greet them, when you help them find a seat, when you introduce them to other people, you're remembering that it's not about you and that you're welcoming others as Christ has welcomed you. When you're connecting with someone whom you would never otherwise connect with outside of church, you're being discipled to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is gathering people from all walks of life under the umbrella of his lordship. And perhaps we viewed church as a passive role that we, that we just come to, and yet that is far from the case. You are very much a part of God's ordinary means of grace he uses to form disciples and to spur people on to obey everything that Jesus commanded. About a week and a half ago, our neighbors invited us to a neighborhood gathering in their backyard. We knew them, but we didn't know some of the more other distant neighbors who were also invited over. Now, to be perfectly honest, there was part of me that was absolutely dreading it. They have vastly different lifestyles and interests than we did. And I kept thinking about how awkward this is going to be. I like to be comfortable. So if I can avoid awkward, it's natural to do so. So I had to force myself to just walk across the street to an unknown situation with unknown people. And with this passage in mind, I literally remember halfway across the street thinking, the words pop into my mind, all right, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so after being introduced to these people I didn't know, I noticed there was a cornhole set over to the side. I was like, okay, phew, I know how to play cornhole. This will help get out of some of the awkward conversations, a little sigh of relief. For a couple hours, we played. Now, sure, the conversations I was hearing they were far from wholesome. Sure, they had a few too many adult beverages. Sure, their jokes were a bit off color. But by the time I left, they knew I was a pastor. We had positive interactions. And I got to know the neighbors whom God and his sovereignty had placed next to me. God has used an initial, uncomfortable, awkward interaction hopefully as a springboard to future conversations about Christ. But friends, the Great Commission isn't going to be filled, it's not going to be fulfilled without us 
being willing to step into awkwardness and risk. It's going to cost us our comfort. It's going to cost us rejection. And I just want to be very honest and transparent with you. I often don't do this very well. I want to grow in this area. And so if you're struggling with this, I want you to know, like, I empathize with you. And as a church, we can grow in this together. Perhaps we have a false narrative where we tell ourselves, well, once fear goes away, then I'll tell others about Christ. I don't think fear ever goes away. But the presence of fear doesn't need to negate the presence of obedience. We walk by faith, not by feelings. We feel things, but we are not governed by what we feel. And so Christ is inviting us to shape our lives around the priority and the entire trajectory of making disciples. We're being invited to see our workplaces that we are first disciples before we are our career. We're disciples who happen to have this career. We're disciples who happen to be a student at this school. We're disciples who happen to have a specific role within the home. But before we are any of those things, we are disciples. And often where we get tripped up is we tend to tack on our following of Christ on to our job or our role. But at the end of the day, that grounds our identity in something outside of Christ. And nothing has the right to claim our identity outside of Christ because he has that rightful authority by his death and resurrection. And so church, we've clearly seen his authority and we've clearly seen his commands. So how will we respond? How much authority do we actually ascribe to him? And I imagine as we consider our response today, there might be some fear. I don't feel qualified. I don't know what to say. I don't know how people will respond. Friends, if we always felt qualified, if we always knew how people were going to be, how they were going to respond, would it really matter that Christ had all authority? You and I are often hindered from taking the first step of obedience because we cannot predict the next three. When we expect tomorrow's grace today, we remain stuck. Tomorrow's grace will come tomorrow. And we have today's grace today. And so as we consider our response, perhaps someone has come to mind today that you can share the message of Christ with. Perhaps you can invite them to read through a book of the Bible together. Perhaps you've been looking at obeying everything Jesus taught us in an individualistic sense apart from the church, and that needs to change. Perhaps you might consider actively supporting missionaries in the church to send them out. When I close in prayer, I'll give us a a couple moments of silence to ponder our response. There's something about goodbyes that have a way of helping people say what they mean and mean what they say. Christ has meant what he said today. And what Christ has communicated through his word is of dire importance. It is also for our good. We can be guaranteed success, church, not because of us, but because of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So let's pray together. Father, um, how grateful we are that you don't just give us the command to go and make disciples of all nations. 
apart from the assurance that Christ has all authority and that Christ is with us. And Father, as we ponder how to faithfully respond to this command, in this moment of silence, I pray that your spirit would lay on our hearts what a fitting response would look like. Father, may your spirit embolden and empower us with a deep sense of the depths in which we've been loved by Christ, that that same love would now be extended through us, producing a willingness to risk for the sake of obedience. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the sanctuary for classic worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for modern worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening.